Gentlemen, we are dealing with the undead. Mas, Feralto. Yes, Nosferatu. The undead. The vampire. According to the legends of my people, the last Khan Dracula became one of the undead. A vampire. I am Dracula. I bid you welcome. Welcome to the now playing Universal Films Dracula Movie Retrospective Series. I have crossed oceans of time to find you. Hosted by Jacob. Oh, and I have waited an eternity for a man of your strength, your gifts, your will. Arnie. I am considered somewhat of an authority on the subject. And Stuart. We've all become God's madmen. All of us. This episode will contain detailed plot spoilers and strong language. Run to your mother. We hope you enjoy the show. Now, let's eat. Today we're discussing Dracula. Or is it Bram Stoker's Dracula? Does this go in your DVD collection under B <laughs> or D? I don't know. I, I guess it depends on your opinion of this film. Is it a B or is it D-graded? <laughs> mm, tough one. But just fun fact, Francis Ford Coppola did just want to call it D. Like literally D? Yeah, the letter D. Starring Gary Oldman, Winona Ryder, Anthony Hopkins, and Keanu Reeves. Directed by Francis Ford Coppola. This is Arnie, co-host of Now Playing and Child of the Night. And Stuart. And this is your whore of darkness, your bitch of the devil, Jacob. Happy Valentine's Day! We wanted to give folks today, on this special day of love, a romantic film. I can think of nothing <laughs> sexier than Gary Oldman in that pompadour licking razors and clawing at Keanu Reeves. Someone's got to claw at Keanu Reeves for this. Keanu. <laughs> we got to talk about Keanu. <laughs> Well, first, we got to talk about something that right off the top, like I know I said this is the Universal Studios Dracula movies. I'm cheating a bit here. As you can tell, when you put this movie in, it's Columbia Pictures. It was shot at Sony. They did do one week at the Universal backlot. All that stuff where Nona's walking around London and she runs into Oldman in the John Lennon blue tinted glasses <laughs> that was universal so we're calling it a universal dracula but honestly <laughs> i'm just going to put it out there i didn't know how we could not include this movie for my generation this feels like the dracula this is the movie that everyone i know thinks of when you say bram stoker yeah it's Definitely a Gen X cast, you know, Winona Ryder, the queen of Gen X with reality bites and things, Keanu Reeves. I don't think we knew what a Gen X icon he was until later, but looking back, he was such a big part of our generation. And yeah, some people who would go on to be even bigger, plus Anthony Hopkins coming off Silence of the Lambs. Big film at the time. Definitely a seminal Dracula installment. So we made room for it, and I think that's right. I'm glad we're covering it. 
I've seen this movie. This will be the fourth time I've seen it. And I always have a different response. The first time I saw it, it was opening weekend. I loved it. I thought it was amazing. It was a visual, sumptuous experience. And then, like, afterwards, people were like, yeah, but what about that part and that part and that? And I'm like, oh, you're right. And when I rented it, I was like, oh, yeah, this is terrible. And then I watched it a few years ago at a Halloween party, and I actually just really enjoyed it. I was like, yeah, this is terrible, but I really have a lot of fun with it. So up and down on this one. It's always been a curiosity. And you say this is the Gen X film and, and for Dracula, and and I guess I'm a little out of step here because, yes, I've never seen this one. I am a newbie here. Wow. This is my first time. It's one, you know, Arnie always talks about his DVR movies have set for decades for him to get around to watch, and this <laughs> is one of them, too. I actually planned on watching this this past Halloween, but then we started talking about a Dracula series, and this would be on there, so I'm like, uh, I'll put it off, but, like, I've been meaning to watch this one for years. Like, I know its reputation. I know a lot about it, but this is my first time actually watching it just curious what is its reputation what do you know about it i mean i know a lot about the effects the visuals i know about the performances the kabuki yeah okay the robe yeah 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 we'll talk about all of that but yeah i always thought it was more or less a respected version of dracula that was my takeaway having never seen it and i saw this in 1993 when it was new on video and i saw it because of the score I had a roommate, I had 16 roommates my freshman year, groups of eight at a time, but one of those roommates and I really bonded over our love of movie scores, and his collection of compact discs and movie score CDs just impressed me and inspired me, and one he kept listening to that I just absolutely loved was this Dracula score by a name that I can't pronounce his first name. Wojciech Kilar. And... I picked up the CD without having seen the movie, not a fan of the Annie Lennox song on it, but absolutely loved the score, listened to this in my car for so long. Finally, I'm like, I better see the movie this is attached to. And I rented it on VHS in 93. I remember watching it. I remember having a strong negative reaction. I remember thinking that Keanu was really bad, that his accent was really bad, and that Oldman was so over the top with the makeup and everything that I just was not able to get into this movie. I was laughing at this movie when I watched it then. My memory of it ever since has been a negative one, and I never thought of returning to it until now. And it's worth pointing out, it is coming from Francis Ford Coppola, but at the end of his career, right? Like, this is the movie he makes right before Jack with Robin Williams, you know, like (laughs) post-Godfather 3. This actually happens because of Godfather 3. If you remember, originally, Michael's daughter was supposed to be played by Winona Ryder, and she mysteriously got sick or something and bowed out, and poor Sofia Coppola was forced to step in at the last minute and do what she did to that film. Ruin it? Yes. And in meeting and apologizing for that, Winona says, I gotta make good. I got a script you got to make. I have Dracula. I I, I don't know whether she thought no one had ever heard of this. Like, <laughs> we, we know. We know Dracula. Winona brings this script to Coppola. And Coppola's eyes grow big and he goes, yes. He has been a huge fan of the Universal Studios Dracula movies. The historical Dracula as well. He sees a lot of possibilities in adapting this work, and he's broke. Just going to put it out there. Godfather 3 kind of ruined him, 
and he made some other flops in the 80s, and he really needs to pull American Zoetrope out of the hole, and he thinks that this is a good commercial project to kind of restore balance. He, he does get a winery out of this. This movie does gross $200 million internationally. He's able to like get into the whole winemaking and, and really like transition away from being a filmmaker. So for that reason alone, he considers this movie a success, and he did a very good commentary that I watched when I watched this movie. You're saying he was broke. Now, I know he's not personally financing the film, but this is a very expensive-looking film. He said it was really cheap, but I looked it up. It was hmm. $40 million, which was the price tag of Batman, the most expensive movie of its day three years before. But I think for him, it was considered cheap because they had a unique take on the visual style. Every time they met with people, they were like, we're going to do T-1000 computer graphics. It's going to be cutting edge. <laughs> oh, no. And Coppola was like, no, let's make it in the style of early movies. Let's do all the optical tricks that they would have had available to them back in the Todd Browning era. Yeah, he literally uses a hand crank camera at one point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the thought was, can we make a $40 million movie using the techniques of early Hollywood cinema? And that really did contribute to a lot of confusion. He ended up asking his son, Roman Coppola, to step in as the special effects supervisor because none of the whiz kids knew how to do that. They only knew how to do the newfangled stuff. <laughs> so, like, they really had to, like, they weren't interested in going back to the wheel. They just didn't want to do retro special effects. And this was the passion of Coppola. It was an opportunity for Coppola really to get close with his son, who did become sort of a filmmaker. He made a couple bad movies, I'll put it that way, Roman Coppola. It contributed to, I think, what he was passionate about this movie. I think, by and large, my memory when this movie came out was he was very angry at his cast, that he talked about them taking over. Nothing kind is said at all about Winona Ryder. I don't know if I have anything kind to say about her. <laughs> yeah, well, she was kind of a diva on the set, and Gary Oldman was a diva. And and then Keanu was just Keanu. Yeah, I think it was a chaotic production. And the Coppola's sued themselves by going and just, we're just going to make this a special effects picture, and whatever they're doing with the acting, <laughs> we're just going to let them do. But Gary Oldman freely admits that he and Coppola didn't have one day where they weren't screaming at each other, arguing about how the performance should be and it's all up there on the screen i'm sure we'll talk about it like i i feel like you've accurately summarized this film now yeah it's a mess a, a chaotic mess with a lot of big personalities again winona ryder i think it's largely forgotten at this point but she was probably the biggest star for someone under 30 at this point she was coming off edward scissorhands she was beloved for heathers we just loved her we just thought that she was the new molly ringwald and so she was the voice of her generation and then she made a bunch of like how to make american quilt crap and shoplifted and disappeared <laughs> that's right i forgot about the shoplifting yeah back when that was a scandal for a celebrity yeah, but she had a comeback. She put on Vulcan ears for a cameo in Star Trek. I don't know if she had a comeback. No, she's on that Netflix show, Stranger Things. Yeah, she's on Stranger Things now. I don't watch it. Okay, but it's huge, Stuart. <laughs> okay, no, I, admittedly, admittedly. My point is that they probably put her on that show because she is an 80s relic. And at this time, huge get You had to use her. 
And Gary Oldman, I think, was a more curious choice. He was uh, eccentric. You know, he was known to be theatrical and actorly. I don't think he was known as a sexy leading man. So uh, Daniel Day-Lewis might have made more sense. But they went with him and... Keanu uh, Coppola will defend him to the death. He says he was a, a prince. He was the nicest person to him on set. And he worked very, very hard on that accent. <laughs> My understanding is is that this could have been an Edward Scissorhands reunion, that Johnny Depp was considered, but Keanu was more marketable, I guess, at the time. Yeah, the studio wanted someone to connect with American teenage girls. Yeah, Johnny Depp. That is Johnny Depp. They said that Keanu was a more mainstream choice. There is some truth to that. Johnny Depp made a lot of inaccessible, non-teenage girl films. Yeah, but Edward Scissorhands was out by this point. He was making that turn to teenage heartthrob. Never forget the fact that they dated and maybe were busted up by this point. (laughs) And Winona being Winona was not going to work with an ex-boyfriend. So her story is her story. But yes, maybe she just wanted to sleep with Keanu Reeves. This is the movie that put Gary Oldman on my radar. I mean, I'd seen him in JFK, but had no clue who he was. But once he puts on this, as you call it, kabuki makeup, I'll never not know him. He was part of the reason why I ended up seeing The Professional. I mean, again, I think of Sid and Nancy for about half a decade. He had done a lot of strong British work. But to American audiences, yeah, this is the film that's going to introduce him as a leading man. And I think... Again, he just ends up becoming an eccentric character actor again shortly thereafter, barring his extraordinarily bad work in The Scarlet Letter with Demi Moore. Hey, don't forget Air Force One and Lost in Space. (laughs) Yes. Wow. Yeah. I mean, you got the fifth element. He plays a great villain there. No, no. That's bit parts. That's what I'm saying. Character actor. He goes back to that. This is a love story. I just want to emphasize Valentine's Day. We are to see this movie not as horror, but as doomed tragic love. And again, I don't think too many people put Gary Oldman up there with Brad Pitt. You know, like the sex symbols of that time. This was his one and only shot at that. Yeah, I think Interview with a Vampire a few years later did better with the sexy vampire. Yeah, yeah. But let's see how they do here. This is going to be my fourth attempt, Arnie. Give him the plot. We'll find out. In a prologue set in the late 15th century, we see Vlad Dracula, played by Gary Oldman, fight in a war against the Ottoman Empire. Vlad's wife, Elisabetta, believing Vlad to be dead, commits suicide. When Vlad returns from the war, seeing his dead wife, Vlad disavows God and drinks blood coming from a stone cross. This turns him into a vampire. We then jump to the late 19th century and meet Jonathan Harker, played... Really poorly by Keanu Reeves. (laughs) (laughs) A prince. (laughs) Harker is engaged to Mina Murray, played by Winona Ryder. Before the two can be wed, Harker is sent to Transylvania to sell some property to Count Dracula. This land deal had been handled by R.M. Renfield, played by Tom Waits, but Renfield has gone insane and been committed to a sanitarium. In Transylvania, Dracula sees a picture of Mina that Harker brought with him. Dracula believes Mina to be Elisabetta reincarnated, as they're played both by Winona Ryder. Dracula traps Harker in the castle to be fed upon by Dracula's three brides. Dracula then travels to London, where he successfully seduces Mina, despite Mina's engagement to Harker. Meanwhile, Dracula feeds on Mina's best friend Lucy, played by Sadie Frost. Lucy takes a while to die of blood loss, but watching over the sick girl are her three suitors— 
her fiance, Lord Arthur Homewood, played by Carrie Elways, cowboy Quincy Morris, played by Billy Campbell, and Lucy's doctor, Jack Seward, played by Richard E. Grant. So concerned about Lucy's strange blood loss is he, Seward calls in his mentor, Dr. Abraham Van Helsing, played by Anthony Hopkins. Van Helsing realizes Lucy has been bitten by a vampire. After Lucy dies, she's resurrected as a vampire and staked through the heart and beheaded by Van Helsing, Homewood, Seward, and Morris. Meanwhile, Harker has escaped Dracula's castle and made it to Romania. He writes to Mina so they can meet in Romania and be wed. Mina immediately goes to her fiancé, leaving Dracula behind, but upon returning to Dracula, Mina is again smitten with the vampire, and Mina starts to have memories of being Elisabetta. She allows Dracula to turn her into a vampire. But Van Helsing, Homewood, Seward, and Morris, knowing Dracula to be the head vampire, break into his home at Carfax Abbey and destroy his boxes of earth, no longer allowing him to take his restful sleep. Dracula flees back to Transylvania to escape the vampire hunters, but he's followed by the four, joined also by Harker. Mina is taken along as bait for the vampire. In Dracula's castle, the vampire hunters stake the undead creature, but fail to kill him. Mina helps him escape the hunters, but as Dracula lay wounded, he begs Mina to give him the release of death. Anguished, Mina cuts off Dracula's head, killing the vampire as credits roll. And so, they call this Bram Stoker's Dracula. Of all the Draculas we've seen, this one definitely follows the book closest. It brings in the cowboy. We've not had a cowboy yet. Yeah, is there a Texan in the book? There is. That was wild. I I did not know that. I I thought for sure that was something they just added. But they did take their own liberties with this story as well. Yeah, Coppola loves the historical Dracula. I mean, people will tell you that this 15th century knight, Vlad the Impaler, is the original vampire, you know, because he had bloodlust on the battlefield, because he put so many Turks on stakes that makes him a monster i think that coppola was very excited to bring that historical figure into the work i mean stoker did too but it's really accentuated here and what's easily the best sequence in this entire movie if only everything were as good as the first five minutes here in this constantinople prologue i know was i the only one who got they might be giants in my head during the prologue (laughs) No, I was not thinking they might be giants. I was excited to see, like, we're actually going to get into the historical basis for Dracula with Vlad the Impaler. And you're thinking that they might be giants. I'm thinking, I'm looking at this suit, this armor, question mark, that Vlad is wearing. It reminds me, I don't know if you've seen Attack on Titan, this anime series with these giant humanoid monsters that, like, have no skin. So it's just these, like, running around with their muscles showing. And that's what this looks like. Just, like, blood red, (laughs) like, muscular tissue issue as armor like it is look we're gonna be talking about kimonos and all kinds of weird costumes but it starts right away yeah oscar winning costumes i wanted to say that's where coppola wanted to put the money again he said this was a low budget movie at least for what they wanted to do and they put all the money towards well they put all the money towards the actors but after whatever was left for the technical budget they wanted these costumes to speak for the characters and so yes we have this wolf 
right away he's identified as a wolf. Yeah, blood red. Yeah, no suit of armor do I know of anyone ever going out into <laughs> battle in this. But boy, would it be cool. Probably cumbersome. He looks like a great action figure to me, you know? <laughs> like, that's just something I could picture. I love the lines in the armor. And yeah, I have not seen Attack on Titan but I was thinking of a few animes I've seen and how this would fit in very well. A Voltron Robeast, perhaps. <laughs> and you talk about how great this looks. When we get to battle, like, it is not going to live up to these costumes, but I don't mean that in a bad way. Like you said, Stuart, Coppola's doing a lot of tricks here, and the fact that we're going to go to this weird... Like, are these shadow puppets? At they times, are. there are definitely shadow puppets. Sometimes it's live-action people, but it's all, like, it's just shadow and, and or this red background. Again, it, it reminded me of the opening of the Bakshi Lord of the Rings, where they actually just... We can't animate this, so we'll just have real actors, but we'll, like, kind of color overlay it to make it look maybe animated, <laughs> but a very stylistic look for this opening. Yeah, it's stylistic, and I just think it's totally captivating. I mean, oh, yeah. It, it just really sucks you in. Like, this is why I fell in love with the movie the first viewing. It was just seeing it this way. But in this viewing, I just want to say something that I love, that a detail that just was lost on me was the idea that Dracula is a Christian. Yes. Dracula is fighting for God here. Like, it's really important. Yeah, this is the Crusades, right? Yeah, well, fighting back the Turks who are going to lose, but he kills a lot of Turks here in the name of Christ and his God. And his outrage is that he's repaid by never getting to be with his true love. That because the Turks sent an arrow with the false information that he died on the battlefield into the castle... His true love, Elisabetta, also played by Winona Ryder, is going to commit suicide in another beautiful tracking shot where she, that's not even Winona, she wasn't available, so they just got a woman dressed her up from behind, <laughs> and we have that beautiful shot of her just stepping off and then tilting down and watching her fall. That is a great shot. I didn't know it wasn't Winona, but yeah, this whole opening is just so beautiful. And then when Vlad comes back to see her body, I had to pause this movie because there's this priest there with all this long hair and this beard. And I'm like, is that Anthony Hopkins? And it is. IMDb didn't list him as playing the priest. So I had to go into IMDb trivia because I was really distracted <laughs> thinking that was Hopkins. And yeah, it is. Yeah, you can tell from the voice. Well, he's doing all the narration, but I didn't, you know, these people here are speaking some ancient language. I'm reading subtitles. So I could couldn't tell from the priest's voice that that was Hopkins. Yeah, that basically the characters that we're going to see later are playing out here. And I get it. I get why you defy God. I mean, I get why you say, I'm not going to heaven if you're going to take away the thing I love the most and keep her away from me forever. Because she committed suicide, she will never join me in the afterlife. Screw you. I'm going to stab the cross, I'm going to drink blood, I'm going to stay on earth forever and work against you, I think is a brilliant take on the Antichrist. You can even see it here. He looks like Jesus. He's like a super pissed off vampire Jesus. And that's a cool conception. Yeah, that, that, I thought it was interesting that Dracula is going to start off as a Christian. I am glad I was watching this at home and not in a theater because he stabs that cross and then like blood starts shooting out and he's like drinking. I'm like, wait, did he cut himself? Did he stab? So where did that blood come from? Oh, it, it really did just come from that cross. Like that cross is going to gush a lot of blood. He stabbed God. I mean, you, you got to go with the metaphors yes. here, but like I am defy you. I was your, your most loyal servant and now I will do everything to kill God by 
not dying and by enjoying the sins of the flesh. I mean, that's really the way to see the vampire is that it's all about the carnal blood, all that stuff. It's not about your eternal reward. It's about staying here in the mortal world and perverting it. And the fact that he's against God helps me because, you know, why do vampires not like Christianity? Why don't they like crucifixes? Why don't they like communion wafers and holy water and all those things? That it starts with a fight against God gives reason for this beyond just religion good. I think because this sticks so closely to the book, and I didn't finish that book, but yeah, a lot of times we're just assuming, I don't know, they're evil, so they don't like Jesus. Like, we just make those assumptions. I feel this version of Dracula, it fills in a lot of those blanks where we mm-hmm. kind of just made assumptions. Like, I understand now why we have a Mina and a Lucy character later on. Like, a lot of things start to click, and I, I see the reason behind them where I was just assuming things before in the other films. Yeah, and I would say that it's somewhat extract from the novel, but everything is pretty much from the novel. So it's, it's a really good screenwriting adaptation. It's what you want. When you take source material, you're faithful to it, and yet there's your own spin on it and a modern spin on it. We'll talk about it as we get into it. But again, this prologue is great. You you just wish the whole movie was as captivating as this. But we have to jump to 1897, the year that Bram Stoker's Dracula was published, That's where they're going to keep the story. And Renfield is already incarcerated. Probably because (laughs) he cost Coppola all the money. The reason why Coppola is broke is that he, one of the movies he made in the 80s was a Tom Waits musical. I don't know if you know this. With Frederick Forrest and Terry Garr. I don't know this one. (laughs) No. Raul Julia, One from the Heart. It's kind of amazingly bad. I don't know why you would think Tom Waits is capable of bringing back musicals in the 80s. But that was the thought. It's like a song and dance, tap dance kind of movie. (laughs) And you just can't even believe it. I don't know if I trust Tom Waits to bring back musicals, but you're going to tell me he's going to play Crazy Dude in Asylum? Like, perfect casting. And I love the way he's introduced with this angle, like, you know, top down on him. It, It really gives him a presence. It feels confined and claustrophobic as he's in his cell. I couldn't get a bead on how big he was, and briefly I thought it was Ron Perlman. If he was much, (laughs) much bigger, it was going to be Ron Perlman. But he's got that kind of squared-off jaw, and he's got these weird contraptions on his finger that look like some kind of braces or something. I'm not quite sure what they are. I think they're restraints. I think they're restraints to keep him from doing what he's doing, which is eating bugs. Okay, I don't know, but this was just a huge performance. I wish Renfield were a bigger part of this movie. Again, one of my favorite characters in all the Draculas we've seen. That he starts off in the sanitarium means we don't get a lot of time with him. We don't get a lot of fun with him. But here we get to see him eating the bugs and raving about the master. But there is some fun to the idea of like, okay, this was the guy that was handling all of Count Dracula's real estate deals. How do we get somebody else to go if this guy came back and turned into a raving lunatic eating spiders? Uh, We'll just get someone stupid like surfer boy Jonathan Harker (laughs) and tell him it's a promotion. I think that that, it's funny that they're setting this guy up to think, oh, this is a business opportunity for you when in fact they know they're sending him into madness. I mean, I think there is some messaging about class here that, yeah, he's poor. It's going to come out with his relationship with Mina 
That's why he hasn't proposed yet. So, yeah, even though it's super dangerous, like COVID, who were the frontline workers? It wasn't the rich ones. It was the poor, regular, everyday man that had to go out and put themselves in danger. But throughout this, there's going to be talk about class and and, and that. So I, I feel like, yeah, th- th- there you go. You're poor. You want to make some money. You want to get in with this law firm. Go do this. And Jonathan has no idea that the guy's in the madhouse. He, like, I think he asked about him. And he's like, oh, he's resting or something like that. So <laughs> for him, the hardship is I'm going to have to delay getting married to Winona Ryder, which is probably something you should delay for the rest of your life. But she's really terrible. But maybe you deserve each other because Keanu Reeves is also terrible in this movie. And we have an early love scene between the two of them. Who thought Keanu was good in period pieces? Now, I really love the movie Much Ado About Nothing, but Keanu is seriously miscast in that. Keanu should never do Shakespeare. Keanu is no Hamlet. And what is he doing here also, again, trying to feign a British accent that just is not working. I love Keanu these days, but in the 90s, I mean, between this and Johnny Mnemonic and things... He was a joke. Yeah, I just wrote him off completely, and this was part of it. I would love to see Keanu nowadays, like, try to do something like this again. Has he improved, or is he just taking the right roles now with, like, John Wick? But it's not just the voice, the accent, or or lack of one that he's doing here. It's the fact that, like, he just has some Ted Theodore Logan here going on. Like, he looks too modern. With sideburns that were really distracting. I'm like... Yeah, that was the only thing that showed that it was old, his- Yes. <laughs> yeah, and, and again, Coppola defends him, and I believe it. He said the problem was Keanu was trying too hard, that he got the dialect coach, he was working every day, he was really important to get all of this, and it makes him really stiff. You can just see him trying, it's, he's not even giving a performance because he's working so hard to try and enunciate, and none of it's working. And I think the reason, Arnie, why you talk about why did he keep doing this, it was because this movie got him so much hate. Oddly enough, he did not get a Raspberry nomination for this movie, Nobody did, actually. Wow. But it began, after this point, he did do Much Ado About Nothing to prove his critics wrong. Then he got the Raspberry nomination. Then he went to Broadway and played Hamlet. You know, like, it just, how can I prove to these people? He really did play Hamlet? I was being facetious. Yeah. Oh, yeah, on the stage. (laughs) I thought you knew that. Yeah. No. How many nights did that last? I don't know. Probably a lot, because a lot of people just turn up for Keanu because they think he's cute. And that's, let's face it, why he's here as well. What I would argue is that, yes, Keanu Reeves is bad. My memory was he's actually worse than he is. I remember feeling like it was just watching Ted in, like, Edwardian coats. It really does, yes. <laughs> like, go through this movie. But it's it's not quite that bad, but it is stiff and it is wrong. He never says... Whoa, which is <laughs> what I associate with Ted. And he should have. That scene where Dracula is climbing down the side of the castle and he looks out the window and sees it. I so badly wanted a whoa at that. Oh, I mean, there's a scene where Dracula pulls a sword on him and it's like super dramatic. And he's like, I don't mean to offend you, sir. <laughs> like that's your reaction to a sword being pulled on you? Stiff. Again, the yes. stiffness of this. But here's what I'm going to make the case. I really believe this in my heart of hearts. Keanu is not the worst performer here because Jonathan Harker doesn't matter that much. He goes away for so long. When he shows up again, I'm like, oh, I forgot he was in this film. <laughs> exactly the same here. I When they leave Castle Dracula, I forget about Keanu entirely. My mind leaves Keanu, yeah. <laughs> 
the stake in the heart is Winona Ryder. She is our character. She is supposed to represent us. We are learning the story through her, her innocence, her naivete, her letters, just like the book. Yes, the focal, the focal character. We need to fall in love with Gary Oldman. She needs to show us why. And she's super bad in this film. Like, worse than Keanu. The worst performance in Dracula is the woman that wanted to get this movie made the most. I mean, maybe that's because there's more on her shoulders for carrying this story. I agree. It was weird to see Wyona in... I just don't associate her with period pieces. Now she's in Stranger Things, which is a period piece. Oh, no, she did a lot of period pieces. You just didn't see them. Age of Innocence, Little Women. Yeah. Nope, didn't see it. No, I know her for her contemporary stuff. She was a contemporary actor for me. And so, yeah, she cannot pull this off. I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, when they have this scene here early on, it's just like, oof. Well, I don't want them to be together. If that they're delaying this wedding for him to go <laughs> off to Transylvania is just fine. But there was about, I'd say, 25 minutes of deleted scenes. And sometimes they just cut the scenes so because... Because Keanu was so bad. And he did have a lot more in this garden moment where he was prideful and boasting. And you could see that. Hence why they have this insert of the peacock feathers. You know, it ends with peacock feathers going over them as they kiss. They wanted him to seem extra prideful. Instead, he just looks kind of like a stupid kid that doesn't know that he's being set up. Let me take a unpopular opinion. I don't think Winona is that bad in this film. She's not the best thing about the film. But I do think that in those scenes with Keanu, she's able to pull off this time period and he isn't. I don't think so. They both feel like contemporary actors doing a high school play or something. Like, it's it's not convincing to me. It's not even that she's not period, because I'll go with the periodness of it. It's mostly the outfit. It's the believability that she could be swayed by darkness. The fact that she is pure and naive, that she will go, you know, with her raunchy school friend and, like, peek into the the Arabian Nights and see orgies and stuff and and shudder. We're supposed to believe in her innocence. If they'd gotten like Helena Bonham Carter, I would have bought that. But her, no. They were trying to sell her innocence with that because I took it as she was horny too, like yeah. as horny as Lucy. I didn't. I, I took it that her innocence was all show, just like a lot of the Victorian prudence was. Yeah, she was saying disgusting, but she kept looking at the pictures. Well, yeah, no, I'm not denying that. I'm just saying that she hasn't done it. Whereas you know, her friend is like, oh, I dream about this every night. And again, the if this is the story about people that go against the church, she in the beginning is the one that is the good Christian girl who's going to get married before she has sex. And then it changes when she meets the vampire who is all about defiling Christians. And I just don't buy their attraction, their romance. We'll get into it. It's the middle of this movie. And we've got to talk about, well, yeah, this incredible train ride. Another highlight scene is the moment where Keanu is riding on this model train. And this is all done in camera. This is not optical effects and what have you. They're really projecting eyes on a background that is moving and all of that. I mean, they somehow have like the shadow of a model train being projected on the book when he's writing in his journal and everything. Like you say this was cheap. I I don't know. Maybe these effects are cheap to do, but it seems like a lot of work went into them. Mm Mm-hmm. Agreed. It's a special kind of love 
that goes into this visual look. And again, it's always the thing that brings me back. Whenever I feel like, oh, that was a clunky exchange between two characters, but look at that gorgeousness. You know, like it's just something that soothes the wound of bad acting. I agree. Like, yes, I recognize things are bad, but I love how this looks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, three for three, that uh, the look here. I never quite go with Dracula's hair during this early scene. No, it's important. This is super important. Dracula represents the East. I mean, that's even in Jonathan's journal, is I'm leaving the West and I'm going to the East, away from Christianity, right? Eastern religions. The fact that we have a very Japanese conception of Dracula shows how far this Christian knight has gone from his origins. I think it's really important that he's wearing a kimono and has his hair done up like a samurai. And my understanding is the costume designer here was Japanese and was unfamiliar with Dracula. So like this was just her ideas that she was coming up with. I don't know if she was unfamiliar with Dracula, but she definitely was encouraged by Coppola to make this character as non-Western, non Christian as possible. It is crazy to think that this suave Vlad the Impaler that we saw in this prologue is now, I know this is Gary Oldman, he always tricks me because he's a man of a thousand faces, he's so good with the makeup but like, I don't see Gary Oldman in there and I don't see Vlad, like this seems like a very weird, old, eccentric not a warrior. Yeah, I see Granny from Beverly Hillbillies honestly, is who I see. (laughs) It's both too much and amazing, right? Like, Which could be my review of this entire movie (laughs) is like, if you will give yourself to the camp of it all, to the -the over-the-top, overwrought ridiculousness of it all, and enjoy the fact that you're surrounded by too much acting, too many optical effects, too much of everything, it can be actually quite captivating. And I do kind of love and kind of hate Gary Oldman's Dracula. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I was going to say, I, I thought I was going to be blown away because Gary Oldman's performances usually do blow me away. And this one, you said camp, and that's what I was thinking the whole time. I'm like, he's not taking this seriously, is he? It feels more campy than scary or a period piece or anything like that. It feels like he's having a lot of fun here. I don't know if that was the direction he was giving. It, it sounds like he did his own thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure it was a fight. And I don't know who won. I know that Coppola <laughs> talked at least at the time he made the commentary decades later but at the time the stuff that was coming out was that he was furious at his cast and had felt overrun by them and a lot of it had to do with the fact that he wanted to rehearse and no one wanted to do rehearsals why do we want to waste the chance of missing a great moment by not putting it on film so that was a big fight but coppola walked away from the early dress rehearsals furious literally walked out on oldman and (laughs) they did not get along or ever work together again and you talked about all the in-camera tricks here like i feel like we're going back to that silent nosferatu film with, with shadow they do so much with shadow in this it's great but this was all in camera did they have like someone dressed up to cast a shadow to do this Mm -hmm. yeah it was distracting but that's all i could picture is there somebody standing in front of a spotlight yeah doing these mimicked actions and things and it's cool but it is kind of distracting although i like the moment where keanu is like talking to the shadow 
and then Vlad is behind him all of a sudden. No, yeah, there's so many great tricks. The Shadow's choking Keanu at one point, probably like the audience <laughs> wants to. Like, I loved all the Shadow stuff. I think the best moment for Keanu is when he's screaming about wolves. He's like, running through the blue flame. He, he just, yeah, it's where I remember my friend. I had gone to see this movie with someone that was a fan of him. She just burst out laughing. She was just like, oh, God, why did they get him? Like, even the fans were feeling <laughs> for his out-of-placeness. Not only is Jonathan Harker <laughs> out of his element, but Keanu just, yeah, never again in a period film. Keep him in Southern California. The surfer dude real estate executor from the 19th century he is not but oldman is making up for all of it and he's bringing back some of those classic lines and doing them like lugosi he's got the accent similar to lugosi and he's like i never drink wine you know and doing all of those types of lines again children of the night what sweet music they make i don't think that's lugosi though i mean yes those are lugosi lines but i think that he is working hard to downplay them and not i mean he has to do a hungarian accent but that's the character but i actually see that it's a it's an active choice not to play into the same reading see after the 1979 one where he's just like i don't drink wine I thought this one with the long pause was going back to the Lugosi. I mean, it's, it is definitely more of a performance here than Frank Langella. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, again, it's it's a step away from sexy, right? Frank Langella is always macking. No one wants to hook up with old Dracula here with that bouffant and everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. This guy is repulsive. <laughs> and the fact that he comes to like Jonathan while he's shaving at the mirror and licking his razors and all of that. I mean, again, I think we're supposed to have a visceral, non-sexy reaction to that. That was hysterical, his, like, snake-like licking of the razor. Yeah, I knew that scene. Like, it had to be in trailers, or it got played a lot, but I still laughed when I saw it. Like, it's it's funny. I don't know if that's the response I'm supposed to have, but it's, again, the, the way Oldman does it is so dramatic and big. Mm-hmm. They do the thing that, again, was established outside the book, not in Bram Stoker, was the idea that Elizabetta and Mina look identical that this vampire realizes oh i could actually have that woman again that my true love that was taken from me is here on earth and he just so happens to be keanu's girl i can definitely fool this guy into staying here a month and go get her and i mean there's a harem here that can influence jonathan there's this weird like orgy scene of jonathan with three women that he's like hypnotized and these three topless women one comes up between his legs and monica bellucci yeah who would be with him in what is it revolutions one of those matrix sequels yeah she's in the matrix movies but she's also just a big french actress she did irreversible and just lots of intense movies and it want to emphasize once again that like maybe what didn't make sense why was jonathan stuck in that castle so long like okay dracula's got magic but here yeah he's just getting laid every night like it's it's hard for him to leave because he's getting his blood drained one of these women has like another woman coming out of her nether regions i think mm-hmm. like it's again it's very bizarre at times yeah they're attached at the groin for sure yeah. And that's, again, practical. Those are two women were, I think they were models and acrobats or, or people that were trained in body movement. And so they just learned how to walk like that. That's not a stop motion puppet. And we get that scene from the book that I've been waiting for where Dracula brings them a baby because he wants to suck on Jonathan. 
And I'll say, like, I, those black and white ones, even the Lugosi were, like, scary or spooky. I wanted to get back to that. That's what I kind of liked about the 1979 one with Frank Langella. And here, we're going to get tons of that. Just, I don't know if it's scary, but just lots of weird horror-type stuff going on that I appreciate in this version of Dracula. Feeding on a baby, yeah. Yeah. Tropey. You know, like, I mean, these are the stuff that, like, we watch horror movies not to always be surprised. I mean, at this point in my life, I don't expect to see new things when I watch a horror movie. Sometimes it's just comforting to see the old things, the creaky old mansion and the shadows on the wall and all of that. Just the way that they make that play. I agree. This movie is not scary at all. No. But this early stuff in the castle is a delight. And even though... Keanu is bad, I'm having a really good time. I'll agree with that. I'm enjoying it quite a bit, and you know, while the prologue was great, I've said this about all the Dracula films, my favorite stuff is always Dracula's Castle in Transylvania, and other than the prologue, this is still the case here. Even with Keanu not being great, I kind of get past it. Because he goes away after this. Well, it's like jumping into a cold swimming pool. It's really (laughs) bad at first, but you mm-hmm. kind of get used to it after you're in it a while, and that's how I am with Keanu's performance. He's not as bad as I remembered, because in my mind, it was even more surfer dude. It was like, you know, Johnny Utah or what, you know, the other things that he played. It is pretty Johnny Utah. Like, I was thinking that the whole time as this being my first viewing. He is trying to do a different character. It's just he's stuck in that mode. But one thing to notice here, Trinities, right? There's three vampire brides here. Jonathan is commissioned to write three letters, one to his work, one to Mina, one to his family. And when we get back to London, we see that Lucy has three suitors as well, one of which is, yes, a Texan named Quincy. (laughs) She's really into his big Bowie knife. Mm-hmm. I thought this was funny. I don't like this actress, Lucy. Like, she feels kind of just as bad as Keanu and Wyona. Like, I, I'm not blown away by any of these younger actors in this, but I thought this was a really funny scene where she moves from suitor to suitor. It really tells the audience a lot about her character. She's playing all these men, and I, I thought it was funny. This entire movie is full of cucks, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> Jonathan Harker, three suitors, all who just have to sit and watch her flirt with the next one that comes in. But that's the time. I mean, again, that this is the point, is that this is the way society would have you. This is the way the church would have you court and have sex, is that you have to do it in this formalized way where they're all like, yeah, playing to this woman in a snake dress. And the idea that we have this non-Christian entity blowing in, you know, he's already like filling the coffins with dirt and preparing to leave and all of that. Like he's really going to bring them an affront to the Christian ways of of being is the point that I really appreciate about this version. It's something that was lost on me earlier, but his Easternness, his refusal to play by the society rules is why he is such a threat to these men that are playing games. And this woman is enjoying the idea that she gets to choose between the three. All of them want her. And one of them, the doctor, you think he might be a good catch, 
but he's developing like a morphine habit. He's shooting up on the side, and he's also the one taking care of Renfield. Yeah, I noticed he was shooting up something. I, I assumed it was, yeah, some kind of opium or something that would be fashionable in those days. I'm not very familiar with these three actors, except for Carrie Elway's. But behind that mustache, I just don't see Carrie Elway's. I don't see the Princess Bride here. Oh, it's in that voice. Like, I'll never get that voice. Like, I could tell it was Carrie Elway's as soon as he started talking. It's not like he's a big actor. He had the Princess Bride, and that was about it, right? Saw. Oh, okay. He was awful in that. I wanted to chop his leg off for that. But yeah, she's going to pick the lawyer. She's going to pick Carrie Elwes. But Richard E. Grant, I think, is a more popular British character actor from With Nall and I and The Player the same year. That's Dr. Seward. You know, he's the one that will be bringing in Van Helsing here once Lucy gets bit. Uh, we have the women giggling in the garden and all of a sudden, as the Demeter, the ship carrying dracula is approaching the harbor she falls under a spell goes into the hedge maze and has a little nookie with a wolf well before that though she even makes out she starts making out with mina and i'm like oh is that dracula's corrupting influence coming upon them like did it go further than just that kiss are are we gonna get a whole lesbian subtext here keep in mind not that lesbians were transmitting aids but keep in mind this was written at a time when there was no good drugs for aids oh there's so much talk about sexually transmitted diseases through blood in this Mm-hmm. Yes, it was very much on the screenwriter's mind and Coppola very much wanted the subtext to be the church refusing to help people dying of AIDS. The, the, again, the, the morality, the, the belief that you were better. Yeah, and so this was a, you know, brief way. It's what you could do in 1992 of acknowledging gay people dying of a disease is to have two women smooch. But yeah, I think that that was uh, the intent there. Yeah. You also had the two women kissing during the orgy scene and... Yeah, but those were vampire women. Like, for Mina to be doing it, it tells me something different. But the wolf sex scene is something I didn't really expect. I'd see that more with a Sherilyn Fenn, Two Moon Junction kind of movie than a big budget <laughs> Dracula. Yeah, th- Wolfman Dracula goes down on women. Like, I, I was shocked when you get that scene, and he's, like, bringing that head up from in between her legs. Dracula has to be about sex. I mean, I do think that in all the conceptions, the official conceptions, if you're going to follow the book, it is about how Victorian England, these enlightened people, deal with this primal, beastly part of human nature. You know, they want to downplay it. They want to say it's all about waiting till marriage and formalized parties where you don't take off your gloves to touch each other and this vampire is like nope we're going to do it in all positions you saw that arabian nights this is we're going to do every chapter i was not prepared for how horny this movie was (laughs) Mm -hmm, for sure and i appreciate it again this is the thing that i'm really picking up this time i know that coppola at the time very dismissively said this movie the only way that it's about aids crisis is that it will give me the money to finally make a movie about the AIDS crisis, a movie he never actually got the funding to make. He was very dismissive that these ideas didn't come through enough from what he wanted to do, but I think they're here. When he has shots of just white blood cells flowing through the veins, I I get it, Francis. It's coming out clear. Yeah, but maybe modern audiences wouldn't because I don't think AIDS is the fear that it is now. It's not the death sentence that it was in 1992. So was it feeding on Mina that turned Gary Oldman's Sexy and away from that really old <laughs> dude and into what we see walking the streets of London in daylight 
no less. Yeah, he makes a point that he could still go out in daylight. He's just weaker then. And I did read it that way, Arnie, that like, yeah, he's getting new fresh blood. He could transform his looks. He's not this decrepit old man that has been feasting on babies or whatever in Transylvania, running out of victims. He lost the hairy palms. <laughs> well, he's trying to fit in, right? The reason why he's coming to London is it's fresh blood, and so you have to act like Londoners do. And so, yeah, he's just walking around in a top hat, going into shops, just acting, you know, like whatever. On the Universal backlot, this is the one, the one moment in the film where they're actually at Universal Studios and not Sony's lot. This feels like a backlot. <laughs> But again, fun tricks going on. He's buying a newspaper and you cut to the window and you don't see his reflection. Mm -hmm. Like the whole opening to the scene is with a hand crank camera. So it looks like it was filmed in the 1900s. But Cy, this is where he has to meet cute with Mina. And the hardest part of this film, right? The hardest part to accept is the idea that there's this burning passion between them. Love never dies. That's the tagline on the poster. I wish I felt that. Somehow Klaus Kinski got me to feel bad for Dracula, mm -hmm. that he was this lovelorn, like, wanted to have a relationship. Oldman here, way better looking than Kinski, but, like, I never buy this love story, and I think that's why Nona's fault. I agree. I don't feel heat between them, and I don't quite understand. I just have to take it that Mina never really liked Jonathan Harker. <laughs> well, it's it's the fact like she's blowing off Prince Vlad until he says, I'm Prince Vlad. And like, again, there's this idea about class going on here. And she's the poor girl. Lucy's the rich girl. So to me, she immediately warms up to him. Like when she finds out he's a prince, like maybe a little bit of a gold digger. Like that's something missing in her life. Yeah, I do think it's interesting that she considers going out with him. Like initially the meet, she says she's a married woman. And of course she isn't yet. But that like, he was like, oh, well, let me observe these proper demeanor then and and i'll pretend like uh, i respect that and then she's like well okay maybe i do like you and they go to the nickelodeon and whatever i i guess this is where i need to see winona convince me that she is peeking into the pages of the arabian nights and being tempted to do something dirty when she knows she shouldn't like i need to believe that this illicit affair that she could be corrupted and i just there's something very flat and very uncharmed about winona she neither seems to desire or be desirable but she's being corrupted by going to the nickelodeon right where there tits in the nickelodeons there's a topless woman in that movie oh sure well, yeah, there seems to be a porno playing, but then they're also watching that famous, you know, first film of the train coming and just people getting off of it. Yeah, this is a film student joke. If you take a history of film class in any college, they will make you watch the first recorded images. And there is this shot of a train pulling into a station that was reportedly, when audiences initially saw it, so realistic to them that they ran out of the Nickelodeon because they thought they were going to be run over, that the train would somehow leap off the screen and crush them. And here the joke is, no, they were worried about the wolf that had escaped from the zoo that was prowling around the tent as well. Yeah, there's this ongoing reference to this wolf escaping the zoo, and I thought that was just cover for Dracula wolfing out and eating people, and people just assume that, but then a wolf from the zoo like shows up at this movie theater <laughs> to disrupt this. Dracula's about to bite. Well, I think he's attracted. 
Right now, Dracula attracts the savage. So, like, Renfield and all the crazies, we cut back to the sanitarium and all the guards. I love that the guards have, like, the anti-bite cages on their head or what yes. have you. And they're all beating all the inmates because they're, like, howling at the moon. Like, again, there's something feral about Dracula that makes you stop acting like a proper Englishman. You lose your composure, your dignity, all your values when you're around him. So, yes, a, a wild wolf will escape its cage and come running to him and become his little pet or whatever here. What's curious is that he is about to bite Mina in this instance, but holds back because... Help me out. Why? Well, he. my question was, he kind of pauses because he's got to look at the camera to show us his red eyes and fangs. <laughs> the fangs actually coming down. That was kind of cool the way they popped down, practically. Yes. Yeah. How'd they do that practically? I have no idea. I don't know. I don't know. But if he didn't do that, he could have got that bite. And I feel like she was kind of brought back to her senses because everyone starts screaming when that wolf starts running around. And that's what stopped him from getting her. Mm, that she's horrified of him. Some version of him, yeah. Here's the truth of it. He doesn't necessarily like his existence, right? Like, he wanted to go to heaven. He was a disciple of Christ, but he wanted to go to heaven and be met by the love of his life. He's staying on earth in defiance. And so... Yes, the, the thought of like having to pervert her to make her one of his own to be there. Again, I think we just want more of this. I want this articulated better and I want it to come through in the performances, not necessarily in lines of dialogue. And it's not good. I, in fact, it's the worst part of it. Worse than Keanu is the love story between Gary Oldman and Winona Ryder. I will agree in that that's the part that falls flattest for me. Like, they're they're really going for that in this. Like, if you want a love story, it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. It's so important. It's so important to this movie that we understand that this is the tension. Jonathan Harker in his, the castle, who cares? Literally forgot about him until they show him again at that castle. <laughs> right. But this matters a lot, and it's not good. And I'm actually taken with this to a degree because I'm— keep wondering what is up with Mina and Jonathan that Mina would do this. I wish that there was motivation given beyond Dracula's thrall. You know what I'm saying? That's where this is failing for me is that I don't understand why. Because behind every good Christian is a sinner waiting to burst forth. Because secretly doing all that stuff to make yourself better than other people, you're jealous that you can't be the savage wolf and just go do it in the garden. That's why. But we don't believe that Winona is that feral creature. That's the problem. I believe it in, in Sadie Frost. I believe it in her characterization of Lucy. I'm not getting it. Maybe they should have switched parts. Maybe that would have been, I don't know. Uh, no, maybe you just fire Winona Ryder. That's what I would have done. <laughs> yes, I agree. But it's her project. <laughs> you screwed up Godfather 3. You don't hire Sofia Coppola. We can all agree, right? <laughs> don't put her there. But you find another actress. I mean, this is Bram Stoker's Dracula. Like, really, what did Winona do? Bring the book from the library? The script was done. You know, Coppola, of course, tinkered with it. But for the most part, it is the work of, well, a writer that's made some really shit films, actually. Uh, Hook, Ooh. Sahara, August Rush. Uh, maybe you like Contact with Jodie Foster, but... You could have stopped that hook. Yeah. <laughs> Contact is in our book as an underrated movie. Not Stewart's pick, though. 
No. <laughs> Not one of my favorite screenwriters. But again, I like the script. I like the things that he's accentuated, his concerns, and his explanation. The fact that we are now have a reason to side with Dracula and his evil and be against God feels very in keeping with Coppola, really, if you think about uh, the way he conceived of Michael being in the church and being a mobster. There's a real kinship between Godfather and Dracula now. And yeah, my problem isn't the script. Like, I understand the story that's being told. I understand where people are coming from, what themes and all that. It is the performance. I'm not feeling it. And that's the problem is I understand it intellectually, but emotionally it's falling flat, which is always a bummer because I want to be pulled into a film and, and given those emotions. All right, well, let's throw another one into the mix because this is about the time where Dr. Seward realizes I can't help Lucy. She is being outfitted for her wedding dress and wearing a ridiculously big collar that is hiding (laughs) these bite marks. Beautiful, beautiful costume. It reminds me of that tar-spitting dinosaur in Jurassic Park. (laughs) Mm, The fan, yeah, almost (laughs) like a fan around her. But yes, she's hiding what looks like, yes, herpes or something, but is in fact vampire bites. And so let me call the rare blood specialist from Switzerland, Anthony Hopkins. Yes, a year after Lecter, here he is. Academy Award winner, bringing class to the proceedings. I think he fits in this role perfectly. He's well cast. I do have to ask, though, does Van Helsing have magic powers? Can he actually astral project? Like, he's talking at one point, and then he, like, disappears, and he's behind a coffin all of a sudden. He seems to be another villain, right? The the conception (laughs) is... Not that this is our hero and we want him to stake Dracula, but in fact that he believes righteously in this society that, again, won't let people lust. That The criticism that Dracula has is, I want to be physically with my woman, and God prevents that because he, you know, he has these ridiculous demands. Uh, yeah, Van Helsing is another knight for Christ here, and that makes him an enemy to our Dracula. And instead of a sword, yeah, he's got syringes, he's having the guys do blood transfusions. He shows up, I'm sure it's quite intentional, exorcist, right? The way yeah. when he steps out there, he looks just like Father Marin. Later on, he's going to say the power of Christ yes. compels you, yeah. Tossing mm-hmm. holy water, all that, yeah. Yeah, he's got a lot to say about, like, we're, we're not fighting a disease, we're fighting something unholy. And it just speaks to, at that time, maybe people have forgotten, but not people that lived through it, how cruel the Catholic Church seemed to be in its treatment of people suffering from AIDS. Which is ironic, because when they do give Lucy a blood transfusion, like, I guess they didn't know about blood types then. It's just like, here's two dudes, let's put both of their bloods in her. Mm-hmm. I hope she's the same, yeah. Ho- hope it works out. A, B, positive, whatever. Yeah, I know. I'm like, I'm like that doesn't work like that. <laughs> <laughs> You're here, you'll do. Mm-hmm. I also love that, like, Van Helsing's kind of a flirt, like... All of a sudden, like, he sees Winona, and he's, like, dancing with her, too. She's just come in from dancing with her prince. And you get the sense that he has a lust for her as well, but he won't... He, of course, can't express it that way, because his morality won't let him be that way. But he's an old lich, and he, just like Dracula, would love to just, like, waltz her into the bedroom if he could. And, again, I love the fact the big kill happens when Dracula finally comes to take Lucy in full... Like, he's off at a restaurant eating. Like, he's like, I gotta go, I'm hungry. And it leaves all the dudes to try and defend the bedroom of the the vampire chick. 
to no avail. And they do a very Godfather thing. If you remember the ending of that first movie, there's a famous juxtaposition between a baby's baptism and people, you know, a baptism of blood. Here we have Nina, who felt a little guilty about leaving her friend, but it was like, Jonathan has escaped and I'm going to go marry him in a Bulgarian convent. Their consecration and marriage is uh, seen in juxtaposition with Lucy being turned into a vampire. Though it should be said, they are somewhat further east, so this is a Greek Orthodox wedding. It is not Catholic, and I feel like, again, if Dracula's a corrupting influence from the east, like, yeah, it makes sense. Like, they can't even have a Christian wedding now. They're having this. With Greek Orthodox, they still believe in Jesus, but it's it's seen as a very different thing than in Catholicism. Right, yeah. I'm sure they would have preferred to have it at home in London, but Jonathan knows he's got, in order to protect Mina, he's got, the whole thought is that, yeah, weddings and rings and all of that, this, our religious belief is what's going to protect us from this unholiness. And so, yeah, he's found his way to Bulgaria. He he jumped kind of like Elisabetta did. I, he doesn't die, but he jumped into that river and survived, made it to the convent. And now, yeah, they're married as Lucy is married to Dracula. And you guys know that I've heard this in so many interviews. This was initially filmed in like a Roman Catholic church and Winona and Keanu may actually be married in the eyes of God. They're not like (laughs) legally married, but she'll text him still and say, hi, husband and things like that. And so they had to refilm this so that what might be their actual wedding wasn't on film and (laughs) film this in a non-Catholic. Oh, weird. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, they talk about it in interviews sometimes. And it shows up like in those clickbait articles. Mm. Winona Ryder and Keanu Reeves are secretly married and all that. One thing they do start doing with Keanu, with Jonathan Harker here, is, like, I guess because his blood was drained, he was with vampires, like, his hair is, it's gray at this point, it's gonna be white, I think, by the end of the film, but, like, it's never something they, maybe because they cut a lot of stuff from Jonathan Harker, but, like, it just, it's weird, because it never gets mentioned, he's just got white hair, gray hair all of a sudden, and they just kind of, yeah, no one talks about it. I remember even after seeing it projected, I was like, was his hair turning? Like, you couldn't be (laughs) sure with the color timing. It's it's subtle enough that you might just think it's a fool of the eye, and I like that. But no, there's no scene that would have had him, like, look in the mirror and go, oh, my God. Like, they don't underline it. It's just a little detail that shows you that Dracula and his women have had a corrupting influence on this man. Or there was a scene, and then it was a scene with Keanu, so they're like, no, we don't need it. (laughs) No, no, I saw all the deleted scenes. I watched all that. And there were. A lot of the scenes that are deleted are Keanu scenes, and it is Keanu giving speeches and talking and... Wow, speeches. It's a shame there's not a scene of Keanu looking in a mirror and going, whoa, my hair. Yeah, yeah. But they're both cheaters. I mean, it's worth pointing out that she has a lot of guilt about having had this dalliance with the prince. You know, like, we don't know that they screwed, but he almost bit her. Like, old men came close to biting her, and they drank a lot of absinthe. And you get the idea that it was at least a emotional affair. And Keanu, of course, has been in a bed with three women this whole time. So, again, they're, the fact that they're running into the church and proclaiming themselves for each other alone feels slightly desperate. Like, they're afraid of what their uh, libido might lead them towards. And they return to London to find out that Lucy is, in fact, proclaimed dead. They bury her in a glass casket, 
but she don't stay dead. I do love Van Helsing. He's like, well, all we got to do is stab her through the heart and remove her head. Like, it's played <laughs> yeah. as a joke, but that's what they actually have to do. Yeah, it is amusing. He's like, get me surgical knives. Not an autopsy. Oh, <laughs> yeah. no, I just have to remove her heart. <laughs> yeah. I mean, his point is valid. If she is alive, uh, we're not going to do anything bad to her. But, you know, if she's not, if she's this undead creature I claim her to be, this is where the other men become convinced. Up to this point, they've been like, yeah, I'm not sure about this Swiss doctor. He's a little kooky. But once they see Lucy holding a baby, about to bite into another meal and vomiting up blood like the exorcist, yeah, they're okay with the head being chopped. This is a good scene. I like the makeup effects on Lucy, that Lucy's coming down with the child, back to that lady in white type stuff, her funeral gown being white, her fangs out there, and the beheading. Coppola is not afraid of the blood effects. Yeah, and again, I think that it really works. There is an optical effect here. They did have, in order to get the vomit, like they did superimpose her head over what was just a faucet of blood shooting. But again, I think <laughs> All of these special effects, if you can buy into the idea that there's an artifice to them, I think they're very beautiful to watch. I don't have any problem with any of the visuals in this movie. No, and another exorcist moment with her doing all that vomiting. Yeah, I don't have any complaints. I think for the most part, they look pretty good most of the time. Everyone's mm-hmm. like those trains. I think they're supposed to look kind of like models and that. So, yeah. Yeah, it's cute, right? Yeah. I mean, Michelle Gondry. So I don't get upset about that. Yeah, it feels intentional. And I think a lot of the effects are, they still hold up. Like, yeah, if this was, do you know the state of CGI in 1990? Like, were we going to get that Air Force One plane crash? Like, which is awful. Like, the worst thing. And like, that's the level they were at. Sleepwalkers. Right. Like there was a vampire movie (laughs) around this time that was all about the CGI and boy, was it shit. Yeah. It's, I mean, this is pre Jurassic Park. They weren't even there yet. Mm -hmm. And most studios didn't have, most pictures wouldn't get the money for Jurassic Park level CGI anyway. But all right. So we're pretty much nearing the climax. At this point, Dracula is a hunted man. And this is kind of a nice detail. Before we were like, why didn't they know to go to Carfax? Keanu was the only one that had that detail. Now that he's returned, they can find where this vampire is hiding out. But they don't know he can turn into green mist. And so while they are raiding (laughs) all his caskets, he is slipping over to handle Renfield and Mina. Yeah, Renfield again underused and he had a scene with Mina where he's like the master is coming and so Dracula has to kill him. I like the color that Renfield adds to this film, but by the same token, you could have cut him and not lost anything. I think his purpose is, again, the resentment of the idea of, like, I've served master. It's not unlike Dracula. It's not unlike Oldman and God. Like, I served you so well, and you're going to make that bitch immortal? And I'm going to be in this cage eating bugs? Damn you. You know, like, that's why he ends up kind of just telling her to go away. I don't think it's to protect her. I think it's more like, and then maybe I'll be his favorite again. But because that scene is the betrayal, when Dracula comes, he smashes Tom Waits against the cell bars until he's dead. There was an extended scene where he had some dying speech, but not needed. It's always been confusing. Like, why does Dracula turn on Renfield? I don't think any of them have been very clear. This one, I'm still kind of confused. I took it as a moment when Renfield was like coming back to Jesus one last time. Maybe it was a moment of sobriety being around Mina. And and that's why he told her to leave. But like, where's the betrayal? She didn't leave. She stayed there. Like, Dracula still got her. 
You might be right. That might have been what we were to take, because that's obviously where they're going with the end, is that Mina has the power to bring you back to Christ. And if I actually saw that transpire between her scene with Tom Waits, uh, that would be meaningful, but it doesn't come off that way. It feels more like this guy just resents her and is sending her away, and she's in the next bedroom when the green smoke turns into Gary Oldman, shirtless, and we have <laughs> uh, more Christ imagery. You know, he slits open the sides. It's like the gash he got under the cross and, and fully turns her into one of his own. She accepted the deal of them living as undead on Earth forever. But Winona's bad in these moments, right? Like, she has to go from, what are you, you murdered Lucy, to I love you. Admittedly, not an easy task, but at no point can I track this character. No, this has got me really confused, because I would have thought he would have had to bite her to change her. And in the book... She isn't quite so willing in the book the way she is here. And the fact that she's now a married woman and still so willing to become Dracula's beloved, I think what we're supposed to get, which is not in the book, is that this is Elisabetta reincarnated. She starts to have memories of being Elisabetta. I never took that literally in this. I thought Dracula saw her that way, but I didn't think that was a real transformation. My assumption was just Dracula has a corrupting influence. Like, that's how it plays to me. It's not done very well. Why she falls in love with them. I think we all agree like that. For a film with the tagline, love never dies, it's kind of already dead by the time it gets to this movie. It never gets going, yeah, yeah. in this movie. But yeah, reincarnation is an Eastern concept. It's not a Christian concept. So what to make of that? How much... We can understand of Mina outside of the fact that she looks like Elisabetta. All of this is the work of the actor to figure out and then dramatize. Like, that's all I'm saying. That All the confusion I'm having, all the digging that I'm having to do in this moment, it's because Winona hasn't supplied these answers. But they get caught, and unlike Lucy, Dracula gets away and leaves the girl. So... He turns into a pile of rats. Yeah, great special effects here. <laughs> this pile of rats that then, like, falls and the rats just run away. And before that, like, he was in part bat form. I love that the vampire hunters are so ready to face a vampire. But then when the rats show up, they're all like, ooh! <laughs> <laughs> and if it, it feels weird. Like, this is where I feel like, oh, this is the sequel. We're going to get, like, this big chase scene. It feels so different than the rest of this movie as they go to pursue Dracula now. Well, it's weird that he's on the run, right? Like, Dracula yeah. seems so powerful, and it's kind of been marginalized, the idea that they destroyed all his boxes of soil, right? Like, that he has no bed to sleep in, that he's got to go back to Transylvania is an idea that I think is underdeveloped. But good visuals of showing it. I mean, I really like the burning coffin visuals. I mean, the, the, the shot of him in the old age makeup, like just sitting in a pile of dirt with like blood running yes. down his face, <laughs> kind of funny. Seems good for a meme of some kind. Yeah. I laugh at the idea that he's going back by boat because he can control the winds. But these are men of the 20th century. So they have machines. And they, again, I think we're to see the methods as similar. You know, they stake women with syringes in the ways that he uses his fangs. You know, like they have their own methods, but they are just just as cruel i think there are lots of in little and big ways in detail work we're to see that these quote-unquote heroes are no better for mina like i don't necessarily want her to be saved 
from this vampire. But Van Helsing has got the idea that he's going to take her alone in a carriage back to the castle and fight those vampire brides. Yeah, I was looking for some connection with this theme about technology because when we see Vlad walking down the street going to the Nickelodeon, he talks about how great technology is and that feels weird because like he's the old, you know, mysterious magic religious thing and then Van Helsing represents science, but he seems into science, but I don't know. The West. He's the East meeting the West, you know, by that, like the the modern, you know, the, the all the Western newfangled movie cameras and all of that stuff. Like, yes, this is the meeting of that. And again, Dracula can't hang here. I think that's to his disappointment. And... I just don't know why he didn't steal Mina with him. Like, that would make more sense to me. Or why Van Helsing keeps Mina. I guess they need her because she could sense where Dracula is, but Dracula is also reading her mind and giving away their plans. Mm Mm-hmm. And again, I think Van Helsing has some bad ideas about what he's going to do with Mina as well. But yeah, he takes out the three women that come for them, and they rip up the horses, and then in the daylight while they're sleeping, uh, Van Helsing goes to the vampire brides and beheads them. Again, does he look like a hero to you? I think that Van Helsing looks awful. I think he looks cruel and not heroic. Yeah, the way he tosses those heads, it doesn't feel heroic like you're saying, Stuart. Mm -mm. I've taken him always as a very Machiavellian character, you know, and that he's not sentimental about these things the way the others are, but I don't see him as a negative influence. I see him as a necessary force to stop the vampire. I'm not getting bad guy off of him. I guess it depends on how you feel about the church, in part. He represents the status quo, the prevailing religious beliefs, the, the ethos that this kind of sin needs to be wiped away before it spreads its blood disease. Or even, yeah, just coming from London, a colonialist vibe. Like, I'm going to come in here with my methods to cleanse you guys of all these evils, traditions that you guys Mm -hmm. follow. And I don't know that like Dracula, they're trying to make him very sympathetic, very much a love story. So I don't think we're supposed to totally cast that aside. Maybe there is something to his pain about God betraying him and all that. Yeah, I mean, Anthony Hopkins definitely is kind of excited when Winona gets him down on his knees and all of that. Like, yes. <laughs> again, I, again, every devout Christian has these impulses. That's why it's so important to beat the devil, right? Is I can't give in. In the end, I think the screenwriter has a hard time deciding how to resolve all this. And the way that it gets done here is that a bunch of Roma gypsies have taken Dracula back in carriage had a big fight out in the front lawn. The Texan gets killed. Keanu gets a, a really good one in with the sword. He slices Dracula across the neck. And Mina, what? She brings him back to the chapel. Help me out with this. I mean, I, I think the idea we're to take is that she can go with him into the afterlife. That this man is ready to die and go to heaven because he finally will have the reward he expected to have. Elizabetta. But Winona doesn't die in this scene. I was waiting for that. Like, they come in and kill her right afterwards. Because she can't kill herself. Because that's going to condemn her soul to hell by the logic of this film. And I think that's why Dracula has to be murdered. He can't die by his own hands if his goal is to still go to heaven. Does she want to be with him? Is it a tragic Romeo and Juliet kind of thing? That, like, oh, like we can't be together and you're going to go to heaven without me. I, I don't know how to read these final moments. I took it as she realized she couldn't be with him, but 
did him a mercy, even though she really wants to be with him. And I don't know if he was beyond his immortality with the wounds he'd gotten and she was finishing him off, or if she was actually the one killing him. The fact that this is the last scene, that we don't have a denouement to show us what happened between her and Jonathan after all this, to show us, is she out of the thrall? Mm. You know, was this Dracula's power... Or was this her own choice and she's still racked with guilt after killing Dracula? These things I'd like to know, and it leaves me kind of blue-balled. Yeah, if this wasn't Winona doing this role, maybe I would have felt this moment of powerful love and understood what they were going for. But because this love story really falls flat for me, I do want more resolution to it. And I mean, again, in sending him to heaven, we, she looks up. I think we can get this much. There's a fresco up on top, like the Sistine Chapel of Dracula and Elisabetta, and it glows. And I think we're supposed to think they're finally reunited, except they're not. She may have condemned him by sending him to heaven. She may have sent him to hell because he's never going to be with her. Yeah, I don't know if Dracula's getting to heaven. I, I guess it depends on your understanding of the Gospels. I definitely think he's forgiven. I think she has the power in this final scene to turn him back into Gary Oldman. You know, like, he looks like he does in the beginning of this movie. He's not the withered old man bleeding from the neck. So, to me, that says... She absolved him, but by sending him to heaven without her, that was the whole reason I was a vampire, right? Like, I just don't know how to read this final moment. And I would assume, you're right, I don't necessarily need to see her and Jonathan make out at the end, but it would be nice to have it confirmed. What I suspect is she doesn't love Jonathan like she loves Dracula. She will miss her time with the prince. But will you miss your time with this movie? Jacob Stewart, do you recommend Dracula? Jacob. So there's a lot of times when we're talking about the buildup to a movie, we're getting on, into all the background information. And, and once in a while, like there's fun alternative casting. Like when we did Indiana Jones, they considered Tom Selleck. What if Magnum P.I. was up there with his mustache doing Indiana Jones? It seems like maybe it would not have been the hit that, that it came to be until that fourth movie anyway. But this is the film that got that alternative casting, I feel like. Like Keanu, maybe that was like your fifth choice. And Winona, I understand like she brought this, but like... These feel like they had to go way down the ladder till they got someone that would take the role based on these performances. Like, they're very clunky, very bad. But it doesn't take away my enjoyment of this film. I really enjoyed this one despite their bad acting, despite the love story not quite working because of Winona's performance here. Maybe a little bit because of the writing or whatnot. But visually, this is an amazing film to watch. Like, I was so taken in by all the different effects, by the costume designs, by the score Arnie you said you fell in love with the score without even seeing the movie like fantastic score like it's weird everything clicks except a couple of the performances which would have made this like a really great film but I think it's a very good one I think maybe the way to watch it Arnie you talked about with Revenge of the Sith the best way to watch that is to put on the like Spanish language track and mm -hmm. just watch it with subtitles because it just feels like better acting maybe that's the way to go with this one if there's an alternative language track watch <laughs> that with English subtitles it's probably way better unless they had Keanu like dub his own like Spanish or something but yeah I mean there's definite flaws here but I think the strengths are are more with all the in-camera effects and all that I was really taken with this one the fact that they're making it bloody and and spooky and it, it's what I want in a Dracula film like yeah this is a solid recommend again there's issues with that acting but still an enjoyable film recommend for this one Stuart 
it's always a different experience for me. I mean, again, I talk <laughs> about initially it was awe, and then it was like abhorrence, and then it was like, oh, bad movie night. And this time I actually kind of like appreciate it intellectually as a religious picture, as a way of Coppola continuing the commentary that he had running throughout Godfather about sin and the Catholic Church and morality. I mean, the idea of this Dracula is the Antichrist, that he looks like sexy, evil Jesus and is, you know, the conflict is so rich. The idea that he can go into the afterlife, all he has to do is abandon his carnal desire, the woman that he loved. I mean, I feel like that really does symbolically sum up where so many people were about church forgiveness and AIDS and the 1990s conflicts that were going on. It's it's just really cool to see the movie through the vantage point of history. Is Keanu the greatest sin of this movie? I think I've already stated Winona, for me, has the heavier burden of making a complicated character understandable and relatable to the audience. She does an awful job. And yeah, I just feel like she is a detriment, a real big one to the love story that's so important to dramatize. But is this... A brown arrow or a green arrow is kind of where I land on this, because I'm going to recommend it. There's just too much good here to condemn. It would never be a red arrow, even though I can acknowledge that there's plenty of bad. But, like, is it bad in an enjoyable way, or does it somehow transfigure all that stuff into, like, a campy entertainment? I'm going to land that I actually think this time... I just genuinely respect this movie. Like, I I appreciate what it's doing. I like how unique its take on Dracula is. It's not Frank Langella. It's not Max Schreck. It's not Bela Lugosi. They managed to come up with something original and Eastern and very unique in its conception. And even though this is kind of a silly pastiche, I think it's a pretty good film, and I'm going to recommend it. And that's three for three in this case. I had to really give this one some consideration because I do feel like the love story between Mina and Dracula is underwritten. And what's underwritten could be fixed with great performances. Oldman is way over the top, but giving an amazing performance, although I don't necessarily care for the John Lennon glasses look. She's definitely Yoko, though. and i already talked about keanu i kind of got used to him he is not as grating as he is in much ado about nothing but the movie shines around gary oldman and anthony hopkins who i think is also really good here i think the three suitors kind of get lost in the fact that there's three suitors carrie elways doesn't stand out to me at all but between the look of this film and yeah the score of this film that i talked about the effects I had a good enough time to give it a recommend, but a highly conditional recommend, you know? You gotta know what you're getting into. It is not a perfect Dracula, but it's a really good Dracula, and it is the truest we've seen to Bram Stoker's story. So yeah, I'll give this a recommend. But, while this may be close to the book... Did you guys know there was a comic based on this movie? A comic adaption of a movie of an adaption of a book? Yeah. I will say this. There was a lot of promotional materials. There was also a video game that basically was Castlevania with some digitized (laughs) Gary Oldman in between. But yeah, it doesn't surprise me that someone would put out a comic book. Well, you can hear about it and interviews with the creators of the comic at our new sister podcast, Four Color Film, which is a podcast entirely dedicated 
to comic book adaptations of movies, and the episode of Dracula is their first episode. Cool. So you can check that out at fourcolorfilm.com. I will definitely do that. We will go back to Dracula as well, although we never got a sequel to this. Not proper. I mean, Coppola... Well, originally he thought he would go on and do Frankenstein. That was the plan, was that he was just going to reinvent Universal Monsters. Is he going to do all the Universal Monsters? And he had such a bad time working on this movie. I blame Winona again and Gary Oldman that he was like, I'm going to go be with someone funny like Robin Williams. And he passed off duties on Frankenstein to Kenneth Branagh. Maybe we'll cover that movie sometime. I don't think it's as successful as this film. You telling me Jack was a better idea than Frankenstein? I've never seen Jack, so I can't say for sure. I've seen scenes of it and i never want to see it i couldn't finish it i've seen like the first half it is really bad and i didn't even realize it was coppola i just saw it because it was robin williams or saw what i saw of it yeah nobody wanted to work with gary oldman but the thought is maybe we can build a franchise around van helsing and for many years the concept for a sequel was we'll have anthony hopkins going killing vampires all throughout the world called van helsing's chronicles and you know that idea kicked around for a decade And eventually morphed. It went back to Universal. It is a Universal vampire movie. Van Helsing with Hugh Jackman. Not good. (laughs) Is as close to a sequel as we ever got. We will cover it when we cover the Monster Mashes. Do we have to? (laughs) Yeah, we have to. It's a Universal Dracula movie. It was the first step towards a combined universe, right? Wait, was that the original first step? They've done this three times now? No. I mean, they, Abbott and Costello, they did it in its classical form. It was, it was an attempt to bring back all their monsters into one big film, kind of like Monster Squad for the 2000s. Kate Beckinsale as well. But yes, <laughs> it took another 14 years for somebody to say, why don't we have a dark universe? And that's what we're going to cover. I can't wait. We're Yeah, kicking off the dark universe. I cannot wait to get into this MCU-like franchise. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to wait. We got Ant-Man next week. But when we come back to Dracula, it's going to be Dracula Untold. And Unwatched, I think. For me, Dracula Unseen. I have not seen this one. In fact, I barely even remember this one. I think I knew about it at the time. I think we talked about doing Dracula up to Dracula Untold. And then... That thing, I remember us going, thank God we didn't do that. (laughs) But here we are. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Every franchise we deny ourselves eventually comes back around. We're looking at you, Police Academy. At some point, (laughs) at some point, the joke becomes our next series. And so, yes, we are going to cover what proved to be a false start, one of two, to combine all the Universal Monsters into a Marvel-like universe. With the guy from, I don't know, that played Jason Statham's brother in the Fast and Furious movies, Luke Evans. I, strange choice there. But we'll find out how good it is in a couple weeks. In the meantime, uh, we're getting back into dystopias as well. We've had a couple weeks off, but this Friday we relaunch with the 80s dystopian nightmare, Brazil. I've never seen it, but it's been on my DVR to watch for <laughs> 10 years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I actually, I don't have a DVR anymore, Jacob, but I bought this movie on iTunes like a decade ago with the intention <laughs> of watching it. And so it's sitting there waiting for me to go and 
see what this is all about. All I know is it's not about my father's home country. That's it. That's all I know. Mm. <laughs> but your father watched it because he thought it would be. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, why wouldn't you think that? <laughs> yeah. I don't know why it is called Brazil. We'll discuss. I still don't know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But in the meantime, all of that happens because we have wonderful donors, and it's time that we thank a few of them, starting with Kent Lyons, Andrew Duran, Maurice Wendell, DJ Hankamer. And thank you to Tawny Posadikius, sorry if I got that wrong, Benjamin Timmers, Valencia Burns, and Rob Clark. And thank you also to our patrons, Joshua Straw, Sean Williams, Tommy Woodward, and Jeff Wade. Thank you all so much for your immense support of our show. These guys are patrons at our Patreon site, and we have almost 75 patron-exclusive bonus reviews that you can get by being a patron, plus more depending on which tier you choose. You can find all the details at patreon.com forward slash nowplayingpodcast. Or if you just want the dystopia shows, head to nowplayingpodcast forward slash donate. And you can make a one-time donation directly to us and get those episodes. So thank you to all of our listeners and supporters. Jacob Stewart, thank you for joining me. And now may the evil spirit be cast out until the end of time. Be thou exorcised, O Dracula, and thy body long undead. Find destruction throughout eternity in the name of thy dark, unholy master. In the name of the All-Holiest, and through this cross, be the evil spirit cast out until the end of time. Thank you for listening to this Now Playing Podcast movie review. We hope you enjoyed the show. Listen to them. The children of the night. <laughs> what sweet music they make. Help us spread the word about this show by leaving a five-star review on Stitcher, Podbean, iTunes, or your podcast store of choice. But even if it would work, do you expect me to agree to anything so fantastic? Want more reviews like this one? In the archive section of NowPlayingPodcast.com, you'll find more than 1,000 in-depth movie reviews from our panel of hosts. I hope you will like it. On our site, you can hear reviews for every installment in the world's biggest film franchises, including the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Star Wars, Spider-Man, Batman, X-Men, James Bond, Middle Earth, Jurassic Park, Fast and Furious, and Transformers. You do not know why you came here tonight. It was because I wished you here. Plus, we have individual movie reviews, such as Titanic, E.T., Inception, Big Hero 6, Ready Player One, Pulp Fiction, Apocalypse Now, Dr. Strangelove, and hundreds more. I want to be what you are. See what you see. Love what you love. And come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com next Tuesday for another all-new movie review podcast. You're always leaving on me in my film. <laughs> Support from listeners like you keeps Now Playing Podcast on the air. Isn't eternity together better than a few years of ordinary life?
You can donate directly by tapping the support button at nowplayingpodcast.com. A good prince would have paid that price for peace. And you can join our crowdfunding campaign for early access to new episodes, exclusive reviews, and bonus reviews. The spider spinning his web for the unwary fly. Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. Okay, obviously we're dealing with a little bit more than just narcissism here. Associate produced by Jason Latham. I am the king of my kind. Now Playing is edited by Heath, Santiago, and Arnie. I condemn you to living death, to eternal hunger for living blood. Now playing credits read by Brock. Words, words, words. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the views of Enganza Media Incorporated. How can you expect me even to listen to you when you're concealing the truth about yourself? Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with, and this podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by any entity that created the film analyzed herein. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. Master, we are here. You can't hear what I'm saying, but we are here. Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of and may not be used without the express written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. Your impotent men with their foolish spells cannot protect you from my power. Now Playing is a Vinganza Media production, copyright 2023, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. Good night, Mr. Renfield.